0: Come on in, sit back, and relax. You're listening to episode 219 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Azure Group Consulting. And this potra- podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. This is the best of 2023. We went through the archives, and we pulled out the most popular episodes from 2023, as defined by you, the listeners. So, Get ready for the best of 2023, and we're going to kick it all off right now. Our first clip is from Ainsley Simmons, uh, the head of Pershing the Wove Platform. Now, um, you'll notice in this uh, clip, I do call it Pershing X, uh, because when we recorded it, they hadn't announced uh, the name yet. So I still call it Pershing X, but it is the Pershing Wove Platform, and um in this clip, Ainsley is talking about direct indexing and how it's going to shake up our world. Uh, it talks about their acquisition of Optimal Asset Management, a direct indexing provider. So there's a lot of uh, benefits there for integrating direct indexing into the Wealth platform, being available for Persian customers. Um, you know, in an integrated, uh, in an integrated part of their platform. And also, I um I ping her a little bit on some of the technology they're using and asking her what's gonna happen with that, some of their partners. So I get a little bit into the nitty gritty details uh, of how some of their um, partners work. And she's uh, very open about, uh, about that, so I appreciate that. Uh, my favorite conversation with Ainsley, uh, it wasn't even recorded. It was when we were both at the um, uh, Future Proof Festival uh, back in uh september of last year and we had this long talk she was walking i don't know if, you're, if anyone who was at that at that um, event it was a very long um setup on the beach you know it was probably like, you know over you know maybe not half a mile maybe like a third of a mile long it was a really long uh, setup and she was just walking up and down before her demo and we uh, happened to see i happened to see her we were talking we, we just walked back and forth up and down the beach and talked about um what's going on in the industry so i really love uh uh, you know, talking to her and, and finding out what's going on. So I think you're really going to to like this clip. So here we go. With the technology, so I know a lot about the managed accounts platform, having worked with it as they've been a consultant to it um, yeah. many times. The um, I know you also rely on a number of key partners with that platform. Are you a key partner? Yeah. partner? So the, the the photodynamics used to be the engine for the for the the rebalancing and trading. The uh, the APL serve Invest Cloud. You, what's the core of the UMA? Are you keeping those partners or are you rebuilding that?
1: Well, you know, there's there's certainly a role for keeping all kinds of partners, right? And and we have all kinds of partners, old and new. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to announce some new partnerships that uh, are we're really excited about. So there's, there's all kinds of roles for partners. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly keeping partners where they are as they are, uh, you know, I, I can't, I'm not committing to that because, you know, there are certain things that um, our partners, uh, you know, may or may not want to stretch into with us. And, you know, I can't answer that question, but will there be partners with us along the way? of freaking And there are many of them today and there'll be many of them tomorrow.
0: Excellent. Are there any, um, so what are the trends you're seeing in the market, um, that's driving, you know, this, obviously that you're, it's kind of like, you know, you've been in the startup space. Uh, startups have been described as you're building an airplane, you know, jumping off a cliff and building the airplane on the way down. Uh, What is some of the trends you've seen that have changed the way you're thinking about what you're building?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there's nothing like breathtakingly new here because, you know, I think the industry has been talking about the cool stuff for a while, but obviously being on the cloud, obviously having a very scalable data layer and data lake obviously partnering with world-class companies to do those things. You know, you know my commitment because I bought a company around direct indexing and how I think that's going to shake the world. We already have relationships with alts players like iCapital and Case that we can leverage for the alts trend. Like what's beautiful about doing this at BNY Mellon is, you yeah. know, the bank has its fingers into every heartbeat of every trend in every sector of uh, the capital markets, and we get to leverage all of that, you know, like digital custody, who digital asset custody, who knew, right, the Bank of New York Mellon would be a leader there. So, uh, you know, I think that um, we have many ways to sort of stay current Um, But I think a lot of the talk hasn't materialized yet into true value, and that's what we're focused on, making sure that we're going to turn these innovative things into true business building value for our advisors and their clients.
0: You just happened to mention uh, digital assets. Will PershingX be supporting cryptocurrencies on your roadmap? Not
1: in our yeah, not in our first release or two. Obviously, the mothership is uh, got to get going first. But again, really fun for us to be able to just jump on uh, that train, you know, that's already barreling down the road. And I didn't have to go build that. So. Mm-hmm you know, it it just keeps coming back to the why, Uh, you know, everyone always asks me why, like, why this in the bank? Why would you ever do that? Why, 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 why? It's the question that, like, I think is the most popular question. You know, isn't it going to slow you down? And, you know, I always answer with, sure, there's some parts that, you know, I got to, you know, let's call it grease the gears and try and move as fast as possible within the confines of a regulated bank. But when it comes with it's pretty incredible. So, you know, that's, That's the
0: balancing act. And we're all anxiously waiting for that train to come into the station. Our next clip is from Urs Bolt. Uh, Urs has been on the program a number of times. He is based in Zurich, Switzerland. Uh, He is a mentor, advisor, lecturer, uh, 30 plus years in wealth management, wealth tech, fintech, digital assets. Uh, He's got great uh, insights on the industry. And I try to have him on as often as I can. Uh, And last year he had put out his predictions for the wealth management sector in 2023. And the clip here is talking about the rise of alternative asset classes in private markets. And I think he was um, mostly spot on in his um, in his prediction. Of course, there was some rockiness to uh, the markets last year, especially with rising interest rate environments in some aspects of alternatives. But when he talked about private markets, that really um, was uh, pretty close to the mark, especially private debt. Uh, and uh, syndicated loan market, uh, which didn't do so well, but uh, private debt did do pretty well, and and had a lot of uh, uh, a a big increase. I think it was eighty six percent of loans in the leveraged buyout market um, were due to private credit accounting. Uh, so there was definitely some uh, a strong increase there. Um, uh, real estate um, maybe didn't do so well because of rising interest rates, but I think you know in terms of, of fintech. Uh, coming out with new marketplaces, we saw a lot of new markets launch um, and, and uh, come of age in 2023. And We've been getting uh, sort of overwhelmed with new players looking to get into the alternative space. So there's definitely a lot of demand uh, for that. Uh, so I, well, I was uh, pretty impressed with his call around private markets. And then we did also talked about new investment strategies uh, and mass personalization supported by AI, which uh, uh, we've all seen that uh, come to fruition as um, tools like ChatGPT and BARD um, launch uh, You know, thousands and thousands of uh, other alternative uh, options in technology uh, also across our industry. So take a listen to Erz Bolt and I uh, talk about the predictions for 2023. Now, uh, the reason you're on the program, not just because I think you're a great guy and love your stuff, but you just put out an article uh, January 12th called Predictions for the Wealth Management Sector 2023. And I wanna go through some of these, uh, the areas that you believe are are predictions that are gonna change uh, wealth management, technology, um, and things we wanna talk about. So let's just go through this and I'll put a link in the show notes to this article so you guys can read it for yourself. First one you have here is the rise of alternative asset classes and private markets. Why is that on your list of of, uh, predictions for wealth management?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the, the recent years, uh, obviously there was um, a lot of pressure on the market, especially last year. And um, you also see some uh, asset manager, almost all of them driving um, private market assets, means uh, private equity, also private debt but also exotic alternative assets in luxury um, investments, for instance, and there's clearly a trend towards these long-term holdings and to diversify your portfolios away from the listed equities and strategies, which you already all have in where you... Every one of us is literally invested in whether whether we are uh, invested via pension fund, our private portfolios, or ultra rich in uh, uh, widely diversified portfolios. So I see that is clearly something coming, and I also see that um, the the access which is given now also to a wider audience. So before it was always like you needed to buy half a million dollars round so it was only possible for uh, upper high net worth individual segment or ultra high net worth so now that um, investment threshold uh, came down massively almost by a factor of 10 depending who you look at and this is made possible by the expansion of financial technology going into the investment area so everything started with fintech went to trading like Robinhood, etc., And now it's also going into investments where you have long-term investments where the life cycle events really go 10 years and beyond. So this is definitely a trend which we can see.
0: We do get a lot of inbound um, requests from firms. So half of our clients at Ezra Group are wealth tech firms, broker dealers, uh, Large RIAs, RIA aggregators, the banks, and such. But half our clients are software companies, and also these markets. We're getting a lot of inbound uh, calls from new markets coming up, whether they're alternatives. And you mentioned exotic assets, art. You know, we call the you know um, you know fixed assets or um, you know not liquid assets. Or liquid art, luxury items, and things. But you know yachts. You know they want to do a, a marketplace to monetize or tokenize different assets do you see that really taking off is that just a fad or is that something that that will become mainstream
2: yeah i think for the more exotic side of it liquidity will always be sort of an issue but the interesting thing is that you really get access now via these platforms to almost anything but they're not one, there's not one marketplace where you basically just to say, I am on this category, this category, and put together a range of alternative assets, maybe even mix in a total portfolio with traditional assets or listed equities, for instance, or bonds. But you have access now. So I think the complexity will come now, how to manage a wider range of assets, especially when you're a family office or... Um, yeah, or an independent wealth advisor which wants to give access to a wide range of um, alternative um, assets.
0: Indeed, yeah, it's, it seems like something that's really taking off uh, in different ways because of, as you mentioned, the different the technologies making it easier to uh, bring these assets to market, to manage them, to to to, uh, to price them. Um, I know many years ago, I worked for um, a company, I did a p- project for a company, came to us, they had this, these um, uh, an online, not a marketplace, but uh, software that was been, allowed uh, very wealthy clients to track their collections of handbags or jewelry or cars or other things. And it was very detailed. And no, there's no application uh, in our industry that, that does that, because we're all about investments What what ETF stocks, mutual funds do you have, maybe alternatives like private equity, but no one tracks these types of physical assets and he had a very sophisticated technology for that and you could up and, you, and it was it was designed for all these different you know he must have had 50 different types of collectibles with all the fields you would need and I don't even remember you know, the other you know, the different names of you know of course the names the manufacturers and all the different you know ways to judge them and, and rate them how valuable they are and then he had a way for pricing experts to come into the platform with, with specific IDs and roles, say so, okay, you can only you can price these particular items that you are an expert in. You can't delete or change things, just you can just update the pricing because there's no feeds for a handbag or for a Rolex watch. Are you, are you seeing that? Those are like oracles in the um in the crypto world. Will you see that? Yeah,
2: exactly. Well? Not really. That's new. What you told me is very interesting because it adds to the picture and the uh the perception I have. So you will have, you have more and more access to such information and data streams. And that could then also allow to create like almost an index in specific segments. So you can actually uh, almost apply direct indexing um, approach and then uh, create the product out of this. So this is again, an opportunity for um, let's say alternative uh, investment uh, managers which can then put together um you know like fractional shares of such an index which then they have to create obviously then the, the underlying portfolio to it so that will ultimately again lead to the way that um people which are more in the affluent or even in the retail investment segment get access to investable products without actually doing the the whole hassle to get into each of such products and they sometimes might only be able to buy a a fraction of it or 20% but you cannot buy 20% of uh, a very exclusive Louis Vuitton bag or whatever or Hermes or whatever it is right or a Rolex watch or Breitling Mm -hmm. whatever the luxury asset might be
0: you're going to like this next clip it is from uh, CEO of IntelliFlow Nick Etock. Uh, Nick is based in London, and uh, IntelliFlow is an interesting company. They have, uh, were acquired by Invesco in 2018, and Invesco has bought a number of other um, platforms and companies and merged them together into this sort of super platform uh, that now Nick is running. And we talk a bit about uh, business integrations and lessons learned. Integrations is an area that we uh, hold dear to our heart here at Ezra Group, as you know. So I, I wanted to hear Nick's point of view about how he brings together these different companies to have them work effectively and efficiently, uh, different cultures, uh, sometimes different technology platforms underlying, and how he has merged them all into one seamless uh, environment and, you know, has as, uh, uh, received a, a very good reception in the marketplace. So take a listen to Nick Itok you're two years into the integration. One of the questions I like to ask is everyone wants to talk about successes, but I find I learned the most from mistakes. So what mistake did you make in this two-year process that you learned the most from?
3: Um, A few there, Craig, really good question. I think one of the initial challenges we made was just trying to understand how best to piece things together. Uh, And that is a combination around Capability and capability is actually quite easy to assess what the different capabilities of different stacks are. The harder bit is understanding what's the best way to actually fit them together from a, a technical point of view. So, we made a couple of, um, uh, you know, took a couple of wrong end turns there and going down cul de sacs that actually became difficult to, to progress from that point. So, we step back and we say, okay, let's think about this in a different way. So, involve your technologists very heavily in this space. Uh, we did. But we still could have done more work in, in terms of in terms of, that, in terms of that preparation, I think. Um, that was probably the biggest thing, I, I think, that's in, involved um, a kind of a turnaround. The other one, though, is, again, back to that cultural piece. And in this context, what I'm talking about culturally is understanding, you know, when two businesses go together, you've got your stars in each of those businesses separately. How are those stars going to perform together and how are they going to... Um, understand what are the best things for them to be focusing on now you because you don't want to match everyone across across each other you want to get the best from each person and understand how you can evolve them so working that piece out is really important
0: one thing i find with acquisitions is the acquiring firm always wins so whatever you have you're you win right whether it's culture whether it's tech whether it's processes you just impose your will on on the companies you acquire because that's usually the way, way it goes and a lot of people in the acquiring firm have a vested interest in those things whether it's a, a piece of software that they run and if that gets replaced they have no point in life were there were there any things you brought in from the acquiring firms that that took over something in the uh, IntelliFlow uh, framework whether it's a process or procedure or software that was replaced by something that came in
3: yeah, there are definitely things, and I think um, again, it comes back to that. At the point of acquisition, I think everyone needs to be very clear on what the what the direction is and what the strategy is. Because you know, as and uh, and I speak speak from my own perspective in that, I knew when we originally back in twenty eighteen sold uh, sold to Investgo, we knew there was another. You know, we knew that there was a strategy, and we bought into that strategy. And the evolution of uh, technology across the financial advice space was was um was pretty key to what we wanted to do anyway, but we were looking for actually a partner uh, and an owner that bought in into that message. I think when we look um probably the biggest changes in the areas of overlap there are about where you've got engineering teams, for example. It's not just engineers, but they're a great example. We've got engineering teams in different different areas different companies, different parts of the globe who have to work effectively together. And that means some change on all beh- all halves because no one's got it fully right, just as no one's got it fully wrong. There's there's uh, elements of greatness about what everyone does and you want to take the best of those bits and bring them together. Uh, and that takes time.
0: It certainly does. You, know, you definitely definitely want the best of the best. Why, why acquire these firms if you're not going to take the best pieces from it? let's talk about the the bringing together of these different applications. So what are some of the advantages? Now, clearly you didn't have some of these capabilities before, you didn't have the US presence before, so those are obvious advantages, but what are some of the other advantages people may not see on the surface in this new consolidated offering that wasn't available as these applications when they were running separately?
3: So I suppose there, there are advantages to our users and then there are advantages internally to us. And they're, 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 they're sometimes the same, but, 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 but often they're different. If you look at advantages to our users, what we're able to do by bringing the applications together into um, a, a more cohesive experience is make sure that those user journeys operate as effectively as you possibly can. And when you actually look at the... The user workflow, whether this is an advisor or a power planner or someone else in in the business using the technology, very often actually what they're using is a whole range of functionality in a, a, often a pretty ad hoc way, but sometimes joined up, but they will jump between the different states and different systems many, many times to get to the point to which they want to operate. By bringing these together, we can take pieces of each journey and play them at the right point in time, not just think about them as separate applications that integrate together, but journeys that are cohesive, grabbing bits from um, essentially from platform A, right for this screen, from B for the next one, back to A, on to C, and so on. So it can create a much better better user journey. And when you think of the, the scope with which our, our software uh, covers you know that CRM practice management uh, financial planning portfolio management rebalancing digital account opening workflow doc man all of those kind of areas. It's pretty. It's a pretty wide stretch. You want to make sure that they operate effectively as effectively together as as, as they can. Internally, we've had lots of uh, success through that because there are a number of areas of overlap, which it means we don't have to double down and duplicate code duplicate support processes, duplicate customer success, and we think about servicing our customers, we can bring that together in a much more holistic way.
0: And therein lies the rub. How do you do all that in a seem, make it to make it appear seamless, to make it appear as, as though it's one application when you've really got all these separate applications? Were there any um, issues running into with the underlying code where it's just so different, the application? I mean, I guess I you know you're not, you're not the technology guy, but were there any big technologies that came up like this code base is just so different. We're going to have to do X, Y, Z, put a wrapper around it, just some sort of interfaces to, to get this integrated.
3: Um, In the main, no, because of the choices right at the beginning about making sure that the types of business that were bought would be sympathetic in terms of how they've been architected to, 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 to the, to the end state solution, if you like. Um, But there are always small areas where you say, okay, right. That's going to work in a slightly different way from how, how, how we, how we anticipated and i think i mean the reality is that that's true of all all software businesses around the world you can just make it easier or harder depending on your initial initial choices
0: check out this uh clip with jim crowley ceo of pershing bny mellon now this clip also was re- came from a podcast that was recorded before uh slightly before the uh um, the Insight Conference, where they announced Pershing X with Pershing Wove. So we're still calling it Pershing X, but you get the idea. And what we talk about here a bit is some of the tech challenges that we see for advisors and how Pershing Wove is going to solve that, and some of the interoperability challenges that they see Pershing Wove addressing. And uh, something I thought was interesting was how other custodians are going to respond to Pershing as one of the big three, now big three custodians, to their uh, new platform and Jim was really, um, really open about how um, they were against being multi custodial for many years. And uh, you know, Pershing, uh, full disclosure, Pershing has been our client over the years for strategy projects and other implementations and things. So uh, I know we had spoken to them about being multi custodial um, back in the twenty ten. And, um you know the the leadership didn't see that as a strategic direction they wanted to go so um having them you know being converted over the years to uh, seeing the seeing the light about multi-custodial and Jim you know being pretty open about that I thought um I appreciated that from him so take a listen to uh this clip with Jim Crowley Recent surveys have shown that up to 77% of advisors report that managing technology is their biggest challenge. So what are some of the other ways that Pershing is helping this?
4: Yeah. So, um, it's a big problem, um, uh, managing technology and, uh, Craig, you're familiar with our launch of Pershing X, uh, which October 14th, 2021, is when Ainsley Simmons, uh, joined us to start up Pershing X. And in June uh, this year at our Insight Conference, we will be rolling out the product name for PershingX, Mm -hmm. as well as the platform more holistically. And when we talk about technology challenges, particularly for advisors, stitching together the different single function applications, whether it's CRM, whether it's planning, whether it's model management, trading, uh, performance reporting, billing. It's a real difficult task and that's where I think a lot of this challenge is um, coming from that you just mentioned that advisors report on. That's a big problem and we wanna tackle that. And with Pershing X, it's one of the ways that we believe by creating a highly interoperable set of applications, we're gonna solve a lot of those problems. Maybe not every problem, We'll eventually get to them. We, we have an order of operation, which has been defined by the advisors that are part of our advisory steering committee. And we will get to them all eventually. But we're super excited about solving big problems. It's no different than paper delivery. Um, this is a big problem for industry. We want to solve it. Um, technology and managing technology is a big problem. Data and managing data and having it Span across the ecosystem, all the applications that people use—it's a big challenge. So we're after those big problems, Craig.
0: Can you talk about the the big problem you may have had with uh, working with other custodians? How do they feel about uh, the Pershing X platforms? You'll be the first custodian that we know of that's offering a multi-custodial platform.
4: Yeah. So uh, for a person like me who's been in the industry for decades. Um, I was sort of the first problem, the first challenge that we had to sort
0: of You're not a problem, Jim. Come on. You're a solution looking for problems.
4: I I was the the first person that had to be convinced that it was a great idea to build a platform that would be multi-custodial because forever, right? That's the custodians made money only by positions, accounts, and balances that we held on behalf of our our clients, but it really was short-sighted and being multi custodial is so important because we first need to solve the problem that advisors are dealing with, that 77% problem that you mentioned. And we believe that by being multi custodial and, and solving those problems that we just talked about, it will position us differently in, in the minds and in the operating system of every advisor that uses our tech stack. So uh, it's a bit of a leap of faith. Um, it's trusting in uh, what we are doing and in our strategy. We're highly confident in it and um, time will tell, but we're, we're on the journey. At, at the very heart of the matter, Craig, what we're trying to do for our clients is simplify the complex. If you think about the operating system today, you think about the product choices, you think about the regulation, all the different technology, um, different tools that are out there, which you are so familiar with, it's a really complex operating system. So if your custodian can help you solve uh, for all the complexity of the operating system, so you have more time as an advisor to talk to your clients, uh, we believe that that's the right formula. So simplifying the complexity of the operating system, helping people scale their business, improving their productivity, And giving them great service, that's our strategy.
0: The fifth clip on the best of 2023 is uh, from Doug Besso, CTO of Hightower. In this clip, uh, we're talking about making conscious decisions. And it's something Hightower has shown the ability to do, considering they've got 138 uh, advisory businesses across 35 states with a combined AOM, AOM of around $130 billion. So I'd say um, uh, CEO Bob Oros and, uh, and Doug Besso know a bit of a thing or two about making conscious decisions. We also talk, uh, Doug was talking about their old roadmaps and some of the bold, the bold plans they had made. And while they didn't, all of them didn't come to fruition, he talks a bit about the lessons learned uh, and some of uh, how they've approached some of their planning and a bit about data. And, and how firms need to own their own data. So take a listen to this clip with Doug Besso. Let me tease apart a couple of nuggets of wisdom shared uh, in this last couple minutes. You said make conscious decisions, and there's, a, there's so much in just that little phrase. And I, I can't tell you how many clients we work with, where they're sort of making they're making decisions. Their uh, decisions are being made for them or well, they're not really thinking about it as a decision. It just sort of happens. So as you mentioned, bringing all the, the leaders of the organization together to really think about, hey, we're putting a three-year roadmap. What are we doing? And why are we going with this way over this way? And having someone you know, give you some criticism, why are you doing that and have to justify it? So each one of your decisions is consciously made rather than, oh, someone said that we don't even remember who decided on that particular thing. I suppose we know why we did that.
5: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, and- I was you just maybe think of something while you said that because it, 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 like data, like we ask for data. We make sure when we have a contract with a vendor that we can have access to data integration. Even if we don't know what we want to do with it, we want to make sure we can have it and that they can support it. And it goes back to those partnerships to say, we're thinking down the road because down the road, we may want that. And if they can't accommodate that or we're prevented from doing it, then that's a negative. And maybe that's something we want to evaluate before we get into a relationship. So it goes back to that conscious decision. Is look, we know where we're going to go, and we think that having integration and having data is always going to be important to us. It becomes a foundation of what we do. Um, even if we don't think we're, you know, don't know what we're going to do with it today, we want to make sure we have. And that that's a great example of a conscious decision we make when we enter into partnerships and relationships with
0: third parties. One thing we recommend to our clients is document your decisions, especially the big ones, but even the little ones, because the well, management changes, there's turnover, and things go about, years go by, and people don't remember why they made a particular decision. So if you've, it's written down, you see, oh, yeah, here's at the time we had this, this, and this going on, so we chose this, that maybe that's no longer the case, this way you have a record of how that decision was made and what the justification was so you know if that underlying environment changes now we can change this particular system or this particular way of doing things
5: yeah i would i would agree 100 percent with that is and and, you know it's kind of fun we go back and look at our old our old roadmaps and you know there's things that we did in there that never materialized that's fine that's you got to be bold you got to be thinking out there but there's a lot in there that we did and we can go back and look at those and say this was what we wanted to do and we built towards it and we actually achieved it. And you should be able to see those things over time because uh, you know, just like you said, is you've documented it, you've kind of written it down that it's what your goal was and you had a plan to get there and then you got there over time.
0: We're very much into to integrations uh, at my company. We do a lot of research on integrations and a lot of work with clients integration. So always asking for that integration support from a vendor is key we 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 wish more clients would do that and thinking ahead because you even if you don't need it today you might need it in the future and but even knowing to ask that question a lot of firms don't know because they don't spend the time to talk to their vendors about these things especially when it comes to switching vendors we found some contracts are very anti-client where the vendors have all the control if you try to leave and you don't even own your own data you've got to pay them to get it so checking the contract for what your rights are when it comes to your own data is also important.
5: Yeah, it's funny that you say that, right? Because it's like, why should you have to pay for your data? It's your data. And that's the right answer. If you ask that question, and and you hear anything other than it's your data, of course, you can have it, then that that tells you something because the good vendors, and I'll say the good ones, right? They understand that it's your data, you should have access to it. And it's yours. And you know, while well, you're right. They, they, they certainly want to make it harder to leave them. It shouldn't be because they're locking your data, right? That's, that's just the wrong reason.
0: We're almost out of time. And I wanted to get a couple of, of some um, interesting things that you, we had said in our prep call. Um, if there were three tips you could provide to uh, uh, C- CTOs of other firms, or maybe they're, they're, they're just starting out like you are They're early, in the early days of their firm. What would those three tips be for building their tech stack and their ecosystem and their, their three year roadmap?
5: Yeah. I mean, the first thing is you're going to have to make some bets. And I, and I when I talk to, to those that are just starting out in the space, I think that's always the hardest one is, you know, you don't want to make a bet too early and on the, and the wrong choice. Right. But you're going to have to make some bets. So look at where you want to build your core. And you're going to have to partner or bet on what that strategy is and, and, you know, and be willing to do that Um, because it's, it's, um, it's really hard if you're not willing to commit, right? So you got to commit someplace. Um, And the second thing is that, is that roadmap is, is take the time to know where you want to go um, it's, it's, you really can't get there. And I always say you can use the house. You know, I have to build a foundation before the first floor, before I build the second floor, whatever analogy you want to use or visualization you want to use. Um, but it, but it applies, right. We're building technology, not for the sake of technology, we're building it to put it all together. So we need to have the plan of, of how we want it to be there. Um, I think the other piece is those, those vendor relationships. It's really important to have strong relationships and not be building everything yourself. So you're going to have to spend the time in the marketplace and evaluate who you want to be partnered with, um, where you, how you want to manage that relationship and where you want to leverage them to to grow your business. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, and I think the, the third thing is that, you know, we're in a great we have a great advantage here that we can listen to advisors in in this space, right? It's it's uh, the advisors know the business very well. Um, they don't know technology typically, so the partnership there is: what do you need to run your practice? What do you need to run this business better to serve your clients better and put together that ecosystem um, that creates and enables that experience for them. And I think that listening part is all is a really important part of that because we're not building things just for the sake of building them. We're building them to make the business better. And I think we've learned to be good listeners. Um, and it's really it can be fun when you see how you can put things together and create things that you never thought possible. And uh, I think that's that's it takes a little while to get there. Uh, that that wasn't the case in the early days. Uh, because you were block and tackling. But as you start to get and leverage your, your environment, you really can do some amazing things uh, by listening.
0: All right. And last but not least, my good friend uh, in this next clip, uh, the president and co-founder of Journey Strategic Wealth, Penny Phillips. And we're talking about, our next-gen advisors ready to take over? Man, I don't know. They're the next generation, but are they ready? Uh, Penny's got a great point of view on this. Um, how uh, some tips for next gen advisors and some of the uh, issues she's run into working with um, this cohort and uh, some advice for them on how they can improve uh, decision making. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the journey strategic wealth is growing fast and bringing on. I think their advisor teams um, tend to skew younger than others do, uh, so she would know a bit about that. And also, she talks about the mindset required to be successful in the business, uh, regardless of age. So I think you're going to like this clip from my good friend, Penny Phillips. Speaking of controversial things you've said, Penny Phillips, <laughs> <laughs> on stage, you also said that the difference between the next generation advisors who are coming into the business who grew up in an environment of participation trophies and constant positive reinforcement, which is very different than the advisors they are replacing who grew up in a negative reinforcement culture, where if you didn't hit your numbers, you were out. Yes. So how's that going to change the way the businesses are being run now that this new wave of next-gen advisors are taking over?
6: Oh oh my gosh. There's just, there's just less and advisor producer, this has always been a challenge in our industry, right? You look at any big firm and the retention numbers like this has always been a challenge. It's only going to become more of a challenge because let's face it, the younger advisors coming into the business today, and I'm generalizing here for any of the younger, you know, talent listening that that disagrees, but they don't want to be salespeople. They don't want to, you know, and I, you know, I grew up in the insurance broker dealer space as a consultant and you know find me young advisors today that want to come in and just sell life insurance to as many people as humanly possible it's just not going to happen or or advisors who want to come in and you know be be the traditional sort of broker is just trying to raise as many assets as possible advisors don't want to do that as much anymore they want to be advisors they come out of cfp programs they get their cfps because they want to be advisors they want to deliver advice but The differences in generations have changed the entire dynamics of sales cultures, and I alluded to this, you know what the characteristics that underpin the next generation. Participation trophy society positive reinforcement culture, our confidence, our ability to succeed, our ability to feel good about the work we're doing is based on what it's based on the number of likes we get right so as a younger generation, we respond to positive reinforcement to to constant feedback. Uh, we're we're more likely to be successful if we're on teams, surrounding by people who are sort of helping us move forward. That is totally different from maybe the industry you started out in, Craig, where it was you had a you were an individual producer. You had to hit your numbers. You were out and you responded to negative reinforcement. Someone telling you you're not going to make it. I'm generalizing that made you want to succeed. Right, you're cold calling more people or whatever it is, and so it's just totally different now. I also think there's this nuance about rejection advisors who've made it in this business who've been in the business for 3040 years are comfortable facing rejection. The younger generation is not the younger generation has lived their whole lives via technology right we. Break up with people via social media apps. We make decisions and engage with service providers behind a technology wall. Our ability to really deal with conflict in a way that's conducive to, you know, ultimately selling and 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 getting past rejection—it's just totally different now. And so that's what I was alluding to. Well,
0: let's not get into my personal life with breaking up with people over apps, okay? It's, <laughs> it's just that's a low blow. Kind of
6: sorry to, if that was triggering to you.
1: I'm sorry.
0: Yes. Yes, I'm, I, that's a trigger warning for anyone out there. You should put that on the on the front of the podcast. It's so I I have a degree in computer science. I actually started out on the technology side of the business, and um, I had to train myself how to be a salesperson because I, I'm the the rainmaker at my company uh, Ezra group consulting. And one thing I learned, I, I, I took a lot of course. I'd not look, I don't look. I read a lot of sales books. And one of the things that stuck with me, I think, was a Zig Ziglar, um, even an audio course. It was so long ago, I listened to it on cassette. That's how long, that's how old I am. And, the, and what he said was, if you're not hearing no 10 times a day, you're not doing a good job. Because as a salesperson, you have to be you know knocking on doors. That's if right. Knock, you, you know, if you close one deal out of 10... You have to knock on 10 doors. If you want 10 dealers, you gotta knock on hundred doors, just in, in a very simplistic terms. So you're gonna hear 90 no's. So if you're not hearing nine no's a day, you're not talking to enough people. But that's, that's just certainly not the way a lot of people generic, you know, generalizing, using you know a generalization uh, are, are brought up today.
6: That's right. And I, you know, there but there is an exception to all of this, and it's a characteristic that I see in advisors regardless of age, who are successful right the be- when we talk about the best in the business, there's something that unites all of them. And I've seen it in people that are twenty two years old and certainly people who are in their you know, 60s and 70s. And it's what I call the relentless prospector mindset. It's the advisors that have so much conviction in what they do. They believe so deeply in the profession itself and the value of what they provide that they feel obligated to talk about what they do. They don't don't see it as, gosh, I'm, I'm making the ask or I'm trying to sell what I'm doing. They think of it as it is my responsibility to talk about what we do, to help more people. The advisors that think like that, that have that mindset, do not even think about rejection. They do not care about rejection. All they care about is spreading the message of what they do because they have a bigger mission. And so I really think it's important even for the younger generation, to tap into that, align yourself with firms or build build a firm culture that's really tied to the greater impact of the work that you do, that will help you ultimately feel confident telling the story over and over, even, even if people you know, don't want to sign on as a client.
0: And that's a wrap for the best of 2023. You heard the top podcasts, Based on listener downloads, what you love the most from the podcast in 2023, you heard to hear all the top clips. Uh, thanks for listening. Before you go, please head over to our website, EzraGroup.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, updates, information, uh, maybe a few tidbits and things you might be surprised about. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening, and talk to you all again next time.